grab your Bibles, turn with me to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. If you would uh, stand with me this morning, we're going to be reading chapter 1, verse 1 through 11. Philippians 1, 1 through 11. Paul and Timothy servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons. Philippians 1, verse 2, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you and all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Philippians 1, verse 7, It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart. For whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Amen. You may be seated. Father, I pray that you would uh, do as what we have already asked today, that you would open our hearts and minds, that we may be doers of your word, not just hearers today. In your powerful Son's name we pray. Amen. This morning uh, we're going to start a new series on the book of Philippians entitled Fighting for Joy. Now I'm sure that You have uh, longed to have joy in your life, and like many of us, there are just days when you don't feel the joy there. There's moments when you'd love to have the joy of the Lord, and you know what the Word of God says about having the joy of the Lord, but there's all kinds of things that come right out in life, and it just kind of kicks the joy out of your heart. It's moments where you want to receive that joy, but you think of that bill that needs to be paid. You think of that situation over there. You think of that person over here, and and you just don't seem to have a lot of joy. I want you to take an evaluation of joy in your life this morning. How joyful are you? I don't mean do you have moments when you feel joyful, but is the tone, the tenor, is the character of your life joyful, or is it something else? Paul is writing in this book tremendous themes of joy that we're going to talk about over the next number of weeks. Now, many Christians, we, we don't live life joyful. We, we live as if we endure life. We think that joy comes when certain things happen the way we want them to happen, or we think that joy will come when we get to heaven someday, but that's not what the Bible tells us. The Bible says that we are to have joy, and it can start right now. I was uh, preparing for this message, and it came across my mind, whenever we preach or teach or talk about joy, I think there is a grave danger that we have in the church that we have some miscommunication about what we are talking about. We get people to either 
begin to live fake lives or we try to get people to think that they've never, ever had joy at all because of what they experience in their life. Have you had a situation happen to you where things were going great, but it was just out of your control and you just didn't feel real joyful at that moment? Uh, The answer is yes, I know you have, but I want you to think about that in your mind for a moment. Uh, I want to thank you for allowing Carrie and I to get away for a little vacation uh, a week, a little over a week ago now, and we had an opportunity as a family to go camping at Mammoth Caves, and this was awesome. Contrary to popular belief, even though uh, there were different kind of restrooms there, uh, they were flushable, and so that was good. And it was awesome. I mean, the tent site was perfect. The campfire was perfect. The cook did so good with the food. He was amazing. It was just awesome. I'm the cook at that at, at the campfire. It was a good time, and, and the hiking was tremendous. And, and after a great four-and-a-half-mile hike, we decided to have a picnic uh, out at that national park there at Mammoth Cave, and uh, we had all of our food in the truck, and we were finding, looking for a place, and we found a perfect location. And I was going to be getting the truck ready and try to get close enough to the picnic table that we could easily get the food out of the truck, and, and, and I was trying to do what I thought would be best, and I looked in both mirrors, and I was trying to situate myself close to the picnic table, and as I was backing up, I heard something, And I put it in drive, and I pressed the accelerator, and I didn't move. And uh, so I did what anybody would do when you put your truck in drive, and you press down the accelerator, and you didn't move. You do it again with more gusto. So I had the truck in drive, and I pushed down the accelerator, and this time I floored it all the way down, and the engine revved, and the truck stayed still. So what do you do in that situation? You do it a third time. And so I revved it up again, and I tried to move forward, and... At this point, my intellect was uh, wise enough to know that this was not going to work. So I put it in park, and we got out of the truck, and we looked. And if you see on the screen here, this is what we all saw. I apparently had gone just a couple feet off of the road, and I looked in the mirrors, and and there wasn't anything behind me. But what I didn't realize was, with the rain-soaked grass, my truck was quickly sinking into the mud. And so I looked at this situation, and I didn't feel really joyful. But we're going to get out of here quick. And so we did everything we could. I mean, we took branches and sticks and felt like trees and jammed them underneath that, that tire. And we put rocks under there. And, and, and we tried to push it. And we tried to rock it. And we tried to pull out slow and fast and different gears and everything we knew to do. And nothing worked. I mean, everything was going so great. I was doing what I, I thought I was supposed to do. I checked the mirrors. I done everything I could do. But... Everything I tried to do, the more I pressed the accelerator, the more the wheel would spin. The more the wheel would spin, the more mud would fling everywhere. The more mud that would go, the deeper the truck would go into the mud. Until someone came and finally helped me, had the right equipment to tow me out. And you'd be so proud of your pastor leaving his mark on Mammoth Cave National Park. You can see the next picture. There were ruts all over the place that we dug out trying to get there. Well, whenever we are preaching or teaching on joy, I I think we're in danger of times of of not being on the same page of what we are talking about with joy. And and Paul is going to teach us over the next number of weeks what it really means to have the joy of the Lord in our heart. And and friends, it is so important, and we're going to get to that in, in a few moments. But we can't get there until we identify what it is we are talking about. This is not saying that everything is perfect in my life. This is not saying I don't have moments where I just feel aggravated. And if we 
don't get past that fakeness, you may find yourself buying into something a little bit like this. Watch this video. Bad day so that everyone will think you're a great Christian? What if there was a way you could make the world think you were a joyful Christian, even on your worst days? Now there is. Introducing the Christian Smile, the first realistic, easy-to-use smile alternative for Christians. The Christian Smile allows Christians to hide their true feelings behind a beautiful artificial smile that will make others think they are happy and content. With the Christian Smile, you'll never be bothered by people offering to help you or pray for you, so you can face your personal challenges alone. If you order now, you'll also receive a free pair of Christian eyes, guaranteed to cover your tears and make you look cheery and optimistic. So order the Christian smile, the smile that says to the world, I'm Christian and I'm smiling. Not recommended for those that value reality and honesty, may scare children and animals. You know, it's, it's so easy for us to fall into this trap when we hear Paul talk about joy that we think, I've got to always be smiling. I've got to always have the right answer. I can never have a down moment. In fact, that is the exact opposite of what Paul is talking about. And before we dive into this, we're going to come back to Philippians chapter 1, 1 through 11. That is our meat today, and we're not going to get back to that until the end of the message. But we cannot even see this until we understand that Paul is talking about honest, real people who have all kinds of real situations in their life. And we have to discover the truth about joy. And here's a couple things that we've got to be on the same page about before we can even dive into this series One, understanding that joy is not a personality. I'm not talking about a personality. This is not meaning that you are bubbly, you are outgoing, you're the life of the party, and that may be true about you, but that's not what the Bible is talking about in true, authentic joy. You may bring joy to people when you act that way in your personality, but you could not only uh, be outgoing and bubbly, you could be reserved, you could be quiet, you could even be a little pessimistic, and you could still have the joy of the Lord in your heart. This is not about a personality. It's also important to see the truth about joy, that joy comes from God's Word. And this is what Psalm 19.8 says. This isn't my idea. Joy comes from God's Word. The precepts of the Lord are right giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. You see, when we live by what God says in his word, it produces joy in our life. We have joy when we take the word of God, we digest it, and we apply our life to God's word. This produces joy. John fifteen eleven tells us that joy is normal. This is not just something for the spiritual elite or the, the weirdos or this is just only on leap year that this happens. This is normal. John fifteen eleven. Jesus says, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. He doesn't say that, that he might do this. He doesn't say that it's for some of you. He says this is the normal thing for every follower of me, for every Christian, that you will have joy. I have come so you will have joy to the fullest. This is normal. Joy is also our strength, according to Nehemiah. Nehemiah 8.10, the joy of the Lord is our strength. Now, friends, this is why everything that I'm going to talk about over the next number of weeks is so important. 
The scripture tells us that if we don't get this right, we will be weak, we will be anemic, we will not have strength. The joy of the Lord is our strength. In fact, I think sometimes as Christians, we may quote that verse and that thought, but we live out that determination is my strength, that willpower is my strength, that gritting my teeth and just pulling myself up by the bootstraps and going forward is my strength. I found that the more times that I find myself in a situation when I feel like I can't do what it is that God has called me to do, most of the time it's because I'm lacking joy. There's not the strength of joy in my life. And and if, if you ignore everything that I'm saying today, which you're free to do if you want to, it will leave you and I anemic and weak. The danger, if we don't catch the truth that Paul has for us today and over the next number of weeks, we will not have strength to live out the Christian life. I'm convinced that so many of us who have grown up in the church and we've lived in the church and we have great highs and great lows, and some of that is normal and we're going to talk about that, but some of us live at such an anemic state in our spirituality. And I believe it's because we've settled for a Christian smile. We've settled for some Christian eyes that we put on, some pretending that everything is okay. I love to talk with you on Sunday morning, but but one of my fears is when I ask you how you're doing, that you feel like you have to make up a lie. Well, don't lie in church. I mean, don't lie anywhere, but don't lie here. It's okay to say, "Uh, it's a rotten day, and it's looking like it's going to be worse tomorrow. But I have hope in the Lord. We're going to get to how Paul teaches us to to live that way, but until we can understand that the joy of the Lord is our strength, we will miss how important this is. This is not icing on the cake. This is not some kind of pendant or brooch or some kind of clip that we put on the garment of Christianity. It's just kind of some icing there. This is at the core. This is the strength that God gives us through his joy. Psalm 51.12 alludes to us that joy can be lost. Psalm 51.12 says, Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. All of us sometimes have been in a place in life when it's like life is this giant vacuum cleaner and life just sucks the joy and peace out of you from all kinds of circumstances and we need God to restore his joy to us. Finally, joy is its not a feeling. It's a lifestyle. Realizing that this lifestyle is, is very different than a feeling. And, and, and I think we, we look at a lifestyle and we think, well, it's just a switch that I'm going to flip on and I'm going to be joyful today. Well, I think Scripture gives us a different picture than just flipping a switch and, and I'm just joyful all of a sudden. But when I think of that, I think I'm subscribing to that Christian smile and I'm just going to smile today. There's a lifestyle, there's a process in Scripture about joy. Look at Psalm 126 verse 5, or listen to it as I read it to you. Those who sow in tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who sow in tears will reap with songs of joy. What's the process we see here? The first part is sowing in tears. The second part is reaping with songs of joy. Well, it's not just one isolated place in the Old Testament. John 16 gives us a similar picture. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. Well, what's the first part here? You will have grief, but your grief will turn to 
joy. You see, in this world, we will go through all kinds of things that hurt. There's pain. There's difficult experiences. And God can bring joy out of those difficult circumstances. In fact, it appears in Scripture that it's in these tough places that the joy of the Lord is revealed where we can see it for what it really is. I always thought that if I went through a very difficult time in life, it was because either I had done something wrong or this is what was going to steal my joy. But I'm beginning to see that God wants to use those very difficult times, very difficult experiences, very difficult people, very difficult thoughts that I have, to be the thing that brings out the joy of the Lord in my life. So let's now shift and and see what Paul is going to talk to us in this introduction of this book. Today, we're going to be looking at fighting for joy, and in the remainder of our time, I want to key in on a specific area. It's fighting for joy in loneliness. In loneliness. Now, Paul is going to talk to us about the reality of loneliness. We, we, we see that interwoven through this book of the things that he faced. He was definitely well-versed in loneliness. Paul was qualified to write about joy in, in all circumstances. Paul knows loneliness. When he wrote this book, he didn't write it from a beach. He didn't write it from a golf course. He didn't write it from the mountains. He didn't write it from mammoth caves. He wrote it from a prison cell. He wrote it from a place where people had abandoned him. You know what it feels like to be abandoned? You know what it feels like to to be out there on your own? Do you know what it feels like to be surrounded by people, but yet feeling absolutely isolated? That's where Paul was. In this very difficult time in his life, no doubt, in prison. This is where God inspires his word to be written. One of the greatest books on joy of all time. These prisons were not Hollywood prisons. They were often ones that looked like caves. They were dark They were wet, and I just came out of some of those dark, wet caves. They're cool to see for a moment, but to be stuck there is horrendous. On our cave tour, we came to a place, and it was cold, and it was a little bit damp, and the tour guide, the the ranger guy said to us, if you were here and there was no flashlights, if there was nothing else around you, you would experience one of the darkest places on earth. And he said, get in a place where you can be steady and get ready because we're going to show you how dark the cave is. We all found a railing or a a part of the cave wall and we got our balance and they turned off one flashlight and one emergency light until it was completely dark. Have you been in absolute darkness? We sat there and we were quiet, and it was dark. And it was pretty soon a little bit hard to kind of stand, just keep your balance and just begin to see where you were at. You could easily forget which way was up and which way was down. You couldn't see, you couldn't hear anything. Paul is in one of the darkest moments of his life, and he still is writing about joy. How can this happen? We're going to look at Paul's answer in the final moments of this message today that kicks off this series. But before we dive into that meet again, 
I am also concerned that we will think that this issue of loneliness is about just some surface thing that doesn't really affect a lot of people. I want us to look at loneliness in our world today for a second. The author of the book, Bowling Alone, he was a professor at Harvard Business School, notes some things of his research about our culture and relationships, how they compare today to those of 30, 35 years ago. He traces the decline of friendships and relationships and the increase of loneliness in our society. He notes that over 30 years ago, there's a stark difference in a number of categories. One, he mentioned playing cards or board games together is down 35%. You think, well, what's the big deal about that? Often, when we are gathering to play cards or a board game together, it's not about that game. It's about a relationship. And and even in our society, we can see that the value of that has gone down. and, And that is less than what it used to be, even just a few decades ago. Having people over to your house from the neighborhood for any reason at all is down 45% compared to generations before. Having dinner with your family together is down 33%, and we begin to see that isolation creeps in more and more and more. The readiness of the average American to make new friends, according to this author, is down 39%. It's painting a picture of a bunch of people who are walking around who desperately want to have friends but is waiting for somebody else to make the first move. It's one person saying, I'd love to have a friend. I'd like to have a friend. But nobody moving forward and there's loneliness that is rampant in our communities. The American Sociological Review tells us a few years back that the average American has only two friends that they consider to be close. That's down from three friends in 1985. 25% of Americans say that they have no one to confide in. Those 75% who have somebody, an overwhelming majority, 80% of those, say that they only can trust people they're related to. And there is this suspicion of others. There's this loneliness. There's this isolation. In our culture, it's amazing how we have had all kinds of technological advances to somehow help us with communication and to help us have faster and quicker and better communication. But yet we find people who are more isolated than ever before. The coffee shop in our culture is one that intrigues me. We we go somewhere else and we want to have a family room environment, a living room environment. and, And this is a place in our culture where strangers get together to ignore each other. And get on their devices and pretend to communicate with somebody who's not in the room. But it's not just in our culture. It's, it's everywhere else we begin to see that loneliness creeps in. Some people turn to church. And they come into church and they walk in the doors and they're longing for somebody to be their friend. And, and they're not willing to, to step out and talk to anybody else. But, but they are hoping that they can find some kind of connection. Yet they are met with someone else who's doing the same thing, and then they leave and they go home, and everybody's still stuck in loneliness. We may think that it's in church and religion and Christian relationships that we fight this loneliness. Some people think if they get married, they will have a friend legally bound to them for life. Some people think if they have kids, then they have friends that are indebted to them for life. Interesting enough, today's Christian Woman magazine reports a poll that they took of regular church-attending wives who had children. 42% of them said they are desperately lonely. 
often in their life. All of this I share to point out that what Paul is going to give to us here in a minute, and what I'm telling you has very little weight. We need to get back to God's word here quickly. But this is something that we desperately need to hear. This is something in our culture, loneliness is rampant. This is something in the church of Christ, it is rampant. And for some of us in our own lives, we are dealing with loneliness on a daily basis. And when we hear this message, it's my fear and concern today that we go, thanks, pastor, I'm going to put on a Christian smile and some Christian eyes, and I'm going to walk out of here and just pretend to be all patched up. But the cool thing is, in the book of Philippians, we begin to see that Paul is a real person who has real problems, and he has real help, and there's a situation that he helps pull people out of, just like you and I, and we need to see that. To catch Paul's lifeline that he throws to us, we need to see why we are lonely. Loneliness didn't happen until Genesis 3. When Adam and Eve sinned and sin entered the world, sin separated them from God, and that broke the relationship. That's when loneliness came in. And sin not only separated them from God, it has a twofold effect. It separates us from God, and it separates us from each other. And so this is why the world has an ongoing problem with sin, is because they are bound in loneliness because sin is rampant. And it's an effect, a byproduct of sin. So how do we cure loneliness? Both in the culture and I think in a lot of Christian pop psychology books, we're often given the answer that you just need to make a good friend. Church, I want to let you know today I don't see that in God's word. Friendship is not the answer to loneliness. I think this is why so many people are disappointed in the relationships and they are still plagued with loneliness. See, the world defines friendship as this, proximity and affinity. Jot that down. This common use of the word friendship is is really, it's boiled down to proximity and affinity. Proximity meaning we we are near one another, we go to the same school, we sit by each other, we have the same office, uh, we we have the same city, the same backgrounds, and so we are, are close to each other and the same affinity. We like the same things, we like the same music, we like the same food, we like the same people, we have the same taste. And so because I'm close to you and we have things in common, therefore we are friends. Philippians 1, 1 through 11, let me quickly read it again. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and the deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you and all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel. From the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Is it right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart, for whether I am in chains or defending or confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. Verse 8, God can testify how how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and in depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. 
See, the cure for loneliness, it's not a casual friendship, but here's the first piece of meat that Paul is giving to us today to bring an antidote to tug us out of being stuck in the mud, spinning our wheels over and over again, trying to be joyful, but the more we try to be joyful, the deeper we sink into our own despair. He says that the cure for loneliness, it's not a casual friendship, no, it's a gospel partnership. It's a gospel partnership. See, in a gospel partnership, Christ is the center of the relationship. If not, sin would come between the two of you and it would separate you. It would lead to spiritual death, disconnection from God. It leads to physical death. We actually die because of the effects of sin that happened in the garden. There's relational relationship death, and that separates us from one another. And a gospel partnership, it knows what to do with the sin thing. So gospel, the good news of the person and work of Jesus Christ, is what is celebrating, what is connecting the two people together. A gospel partnership, in short, is where both people agree to do life together as Christians. In other words, they will treat one another the way Christ has taught them to treat people. Gospel partnership is, is like a friendship, but it's much deeper. It knows what to do with this sin problem. And this is what Paul is going to talk to us about. It's, it's not just around our proximity to each other and our affinity for one another, but it is partnering to see the advancement of the kingdom of God. When is the last time you sought out somebody in this room to link arms with to advance the gospel of Jesus? I don't mean who you like to talk to the most. I don't mean the one that that likes the same food that you like, that has the same taste in music, that lives in the same neighborhood of you. That may happen. But when is the last time you found somebody who was desperately in love with Jesus the way you were? When was the last time that you linked arms with somebody and you said, together we are going to charge ahead and we're going to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and we're going to teach them what Jesus has commanded us, and we're going to do it in the spirit of the law of love. When we have a gospel partnership, there is joy that happens. We were not wired just to have our needs met by proximity and affinity. The phrase, birds of a feather flock together, that's okay, and I'm not saying that doesn't happen. But you can be lonely with a bunch of birds that look like you. You can be lonely and have everybody think that you have the best feathers. But when you begin to lock arms with somebody, and Jesus is at the center of their life, and he's at the center of your life, and you're not just locking arms because you have that in common, but you want to advance the kingdom of God, something happens inside of you. Have you met somebody that you didn't know before, but you felt like you've known them for decades? Has that ever happened to you? I met a guy in, in an airport, and I had not known him for but five minutes. But we began to weep and cry and praise the Lord of what he was doing in our life because we quickly saw that our hearts were burning for the same thing. And there was a gospel partnership with someone who I was not close to, and I didn't have anything in common with, and I may not ever see him again until heaven. This is part of the joy stream that is tugging us out. But church, this is not what we often want to hear. Well, pastor, I'd like you to give me three things that I can do myself to make me feel more joyful for my life. 
<laughs> I can't, because it's all about what you want and how you want to feel for your own life. But Paul says, go ahead and press the accelerator. Go ahead and keep spinning the wheels in your life. But until you are yanked out of the sin problem and you begin to see people around you the way God has called you to see them, you won't get the joy thing right. Well, that's just the first piece of steak. Let's, let's keep moving through here. See, Paul understood that joy is not an emotion. It's a lifestyle. He is facing death in prison. He is lonely. He is hurting. He is hungry. He is broke. He is beaten. And most likely, he is sick. And yet he is talking about these people as if he is on holiday. Some of us as Christians believe that the only way we can experience joy is if we put on that fake smile. I don't think Paul sat there and said, I just love being in prison. I just think this is the best thing in the world. No, I think he was miserable at times. I think he had bad days. I think he was sick. He definitely had a thorn in the flesh. And yet his heart would leap for something that was deeper than what was on the surface. Well, Pastor, why are you getting so excited about it? Because we're getting close. We're not there, but we're getting close to actually really helping pull somebody today out of the mud they've been stuck in for, I think, decades possibly. Decades. You know the word inside and out, and you have done a better job teaching it than most in the world. But is the joy of the Lord really your strength? Is it life inside of you? And and Paul is saying, hey, 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 you can be in prison. You can be threatened with death, but I have a love in my heart for you. A gospel partnership is something that celebrates the forward progress of Jesus' work. That's what joy is. You want to have joy? You celebrate the advancement of the gospel. Let's look on here to the next A gospel partnership is held together not by how much you have in common, not by how close you are, not by if you like the same things. A gospel partnership is held together by grace and by prayer for one another. You say, well, I just haven't found anybody I can really connect with. I've tried that Sunday school class. I've tried that small group. I've been in 17 churches and I haven't found anybody. Hey, how much have you been using the grace card? How much have you been using the prayer card? That's what holds a gospel partnership together. You're quick to give each other grace. You're quick to pray for one another. And you're quick to rally around what it is God has called you to do in advancing the kingdom. Well, well, Pastor, I wanted a friend. You will never have a better friend than somebody who has given their life to what you've given your life to. Well, I'm not sure if I'm giving my life to that yet. Well, that's where the joy problem comes in. When we surrender our life and we let him pull us through, he will give us gospel partnerships. That's part of the joy stream. So how can we do this? How can we find joy in loneliness? I love that Paul doesn't leave us hanging in rapid fire. Let's catch those next couple points. We need to put people in our thoughts. That's what Paul does in this passage. If all you're thinking about is the things that you are facing, you will never, ever experience the joy of the Lord. You need to put people in your thoughts. You see... There's a few kind of thoughts that Paul had towards people. In verse 3, look at it. I thank my God every time I remember you. Paul had caring thoughts for people. And Paul had thankful thoughts. We're not talking about your words yet. We're just talking about your thoughts. When's the last time you caught yourself daydreaming on how thankful you were for some people in your life? When's the last time you had thoughts of, you hadn't acted on it yet, but you're just going, man, I I just would love to care for them. I just want to... 
I just want to give them the love of Jesus. Until my thoughts have people like you in them, joy will be blocked in my life. He had thoughts that were filled with thanksgiving. He writes and says, I thank God, my God every time I remember you and all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. When was the last time that you've done this? How else can we do this? It's not just putting people in our thoughts, but putting people in our heart. Paul puts people in his heart. Joy is impossible if you don't have people in your heart. I'd like to argue that it's impossible. Sometimes we've been hurt by a person or a group of people. And we begin to build walls up and we say, nobody will ever hurt me like that again. And you get really good at building that wall. And guess what? Nobody hurts you just like that again because nobody can get in your life like that again. And when you keep out the hurt, you're keeping out the joy. God is telling us through Paul's message that when we put people in our hearts, this is an avenue of his joy that can come into us. How can we put people in our hearts? Paul gets more specific. One partnership that we've talked about. This key word is, it's not just coming together, but coming together in relationship to the gospel, about the good news, and then also it's fellowship. Now, friendship is on a human level, but fellowship is on God's level. And the real source of of fellowship comes from the affection of Jesus Christ. It dawned on me this morning as, as, as the leaders were leading in worship today, I think some of us at times are tempted to think, are we going to sing about Jesus again? Are we going to sing about the cross again? Are we going to sing about heaven again? Are we going to sing about holy, holy, holy again? Now, I know I'm not supposed to say that out loud, but some of us were thinking it, so I'm just going to say it for us. It's okay. Well, I don't know if I like some of these new songs that repeat something over and over and over and over and over. You know what? We may not like heaven because in heaven... We're going to see God's goodness over and over and over. And before I can get on to the next part of God's goodness, I'm going to be stuck on that. I can't think of a more uh, biblical worship song than holy, 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 holy. We'll say something else. Holy. You see, when, when I am fixated on what God has done and I can see him, it captivates my very heart. This is on a God level and the affection that we have in Jesus Christ when we see who he is and relationship to who we are and his love for us. It should cause us to worship and it should cause us to have fellowship with one another better. When I begin to see how wretched I am and how amazing he is and what he has done for me, when I see you and your idiosyncrasies and your flaws, I go, it's nothing compared to mine. I'm not going to base my friendship with you based on your faults. Because the one who has given me great affection has loved me in spite of all of my junk. And so I'm going to lead with grace and prayer for you. And watch how God opens up relationships in your life. And keep pressing the accelerator and spinning. But I'm telling you, you're going to be stuck. Some of us need the joy to tow us out of the the rut that we've been in for a long time. Finally, the last thought, and I'm through. Paul not only puts people in his thoughts, puts people in his heart, Paul puts people in his prayers. Do you put people in your prayers? Are you thinking about them? Are you letting your heart love them? 
say, well, well, how do I pray for them? I do pray for those who are sick. That's good. I'm not, I'm not putting down praying for people who are sick. But Paul is talking about this being a joy stream, and we're going to build on it the next couple of weeks. It's more than just praying for their physical needs. What, what does he pray for? He prays for people's growth. Let your love get larger and larger. Pray that people are willing to grow in the things of God. That's what we need to pray about. He goes on to say, I pray that this will happen in real knowledge, in real depth of insight, so you may be able to discern what is best. Pray that they will grow. Pray that people will make good choices. So I'm praying that that God will help you discern what is best. Why? Then I'm going to pray, as Paul did, pray for their character. Paul goes on and says, I pray that you may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ. I'm going to pray that God will not just help you make good decisions so you can get wealthy, but so you can have pure character. And then what else? Pray for people's fruitfulness. I pray that you might be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. See, when we pray for people to grow in their relationship, we are concerned about what God is doing in their life. There's sort of a logical progression here that we see that Paul is taking us on. We grow in love so we can make good decisions, so we can have better character, so we can have fruitful righteousness that makes a difference and an impact on the world. You see, when we begin to pray for each other the way that Paul prayed for these people, in the midst of his prison cell, joy was running thick through his heart. As we come to a close this morning, this is in no way the close of this message. But even though I've been on vacation for a week, it doesn't mean we're going to have a four-hour sermon. I thought about it, but I thought I'd just be me at the end. We're going to continue this on next week and begin to see where Paul weaves this thread through. But today, it's my prayer that you will not hear the words of a ringing the bell to joy of the Lord as putting on some kind of fake smile. If you're here today and you just didn't feel really good today, this is for you. The joy of the Lord can be your strength. If you're here today and you are facing a major crisis in your life, the joy of the Lord can be your strength. How? Well, I'm going to look for gospel partnerships by the very desire to look for a gospel partnership. It's me saying that I want to give my life and connection with someone else to what it is that Jesus wants to do. It's amazing what happens when I stop living for my promotion at work. I stop living for my bank account. I stop living for how you think about me. And I start living for what could happen in the kingdom. I was working hard not to get super emotional today. I don't know why. I just was working hard at not doing it. (laughs) And it didn't work. Somebody brought to me a note in the middle of worship. And the Lord just grabbed my ears and just turned me right to him and said, This is exactly what I told you to talk about today. Somebody said, Pastor Brady, I haven't been able to give you an email yet, haven't been able to tell you yet, but the light of Jesus came on and someone in my family's life, and and we want to celebrate what Jesus did. And I want you to celebrate with me for what Jesus did in their life. But here's what happens. 
We love to celebrate it about somebody else's family, someone else's person. But there is somebody in our circle of influence that we can tag team together, we can link arms, and we can say, how could we advance the kingdom of God and their life and loving them together? I've been telling you about Jake. I've been a little bit afraid to do this because some of our, well, the messages are online. And if Jake hears this, Jake, I love you, Jake. I'm not trying to embarrass you. Jake is a new friend that we have met at Flat Top Grill. There's been nothing more fun in our family when Caden and Carrie and I, we get ready for Saturday afternoon to go meet Jake. We are praying for what it is that's on Jake's heart. And to the best of our knowledge, Jake doesn't know Jesus is his Lord and Savior. He knows about God, and, and we're, we're really working on that. But something happens in Caden's heart as an 8-year-old when she links arms with her mom and dad and says, Let's go meet Jake. There's joy in the midst of that. And she's not some super person that's extra, extra spiritual than anybody else. For her own privacy, I won't tell you some of the attitudes that come out on, on Saturday night. But friend, I share all that with you to say, as I sat in my truck, pressed the accelerator to the floor, the truck should have moved forward. I did it again and again and again and again with all sincerity. I did everything I knew to do. I took branches and sticks and rocks and shoved them underneath that tire and I couldn't get free. I pushed with all my might. I got everybody around me that I knew and people I didn't know and said, push on my truck and I couldn't get it out. But until that man came with a tow rope and said, you are stuck for good, let me pull you out. Today, God wants to begin to bring freedom in your life by linking you with his joy. And for somebody here today, it's a light bulb going on. I've been looking for friends and I need a gospel partnership. I've been looking for happiness, and I need to begin to put people in my thoughts. I need to begin to put people in my heart. I need to begin to put people in my prayers. And pretty soon I am praying and loving and thinking about people. And that bill still needs to be paid. Yeah, but it's not captivating my thoughts all the time. That that situation over there and over here is still there, but it's not captivating my life like it used to. Friend, the word of God is real today, and there's freedom for you. Father, I pray that you'll take this mass of thought and words and you'll weave it together in a tapestry in a way that will make sense in the hearts of my friends today. Lord, we ask that you not just stir our heart, but we want you to bring about change. So I pray for my brother and sister in this room today who desperately need a tug out of a ditch that they've been in. They need your joy to be your strength. And I pray today you will take your word and make it come alive in their life. Thank you, Father, before I see it, for the miracles in our own lives of expunging loneliness from our families, from our church, and our community through what you're going to do in us. In your name I pray. Amen. God bless you, church. Don't miss tonight at 6 o'clock.